0: Some of you might know the answer to this question. I, I couldn't get a definitive one online. I guess we'll just have to try it. But um, imagine you had a, a car engine with not not a lick of oil in it. Like like they they. My wife just gave me a funny look. Just imagine it. Just imagine it. Um, They just rolled off the assembly line. Everything about the engine is correct. There's just not one drop. They have never added a drop of oil to the engine. Are you with me, Kelly? Because you you probably haven't answered this. So you get that thing and you fire that puppy up just as it is, assuming we can get it started. So we get it started and we give it full throttle, not a drop, again, not a drop of oil. How long would that engine last? You, you expect an answer from me, I've gotten none, I already told you that. But it's short. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, not long. Because you've got all those parts, those, those metal parts, and they're moving, you get, you get them at a high RPM. There's friction, there's heat produced, there's no oil lubricated. That thing is not going to last probably a minute, I'm betting. It's going it's to throw a rod really fast. It, you're going to have disaster on your hands. So think about that for a moment. You have an engine, it's perfectly constructed. Not every engine rolling off the assembly line is, but let's just say it's one of those that's actually a good working engine. Um, Everything, every component is there. Oil isn't even part of the engine, is it, technically? They don't have to design oil when they're designing an engine. And yet, if you do not add oil to that engine it's going to be disaster. If you do, it can run thousands of hours without fail. A good engine could go thousands and thousands of hours running total in its lifetime and, and, and give you no problem whatsoever. So in Colossians, in Colossians three fifteen through 17, Paul continues to talk about the new life that is ours in Christ, but now he kind of I think he kind of goes back and forth between the individual and the church. Mostly he's looking at the church here. Um, Here he's talking today about the body. And what is the body? It's the church, right? If you go back to chapter uh, 1, verse 18, the body is described as the church. And what Paul does here is he gives three integral parts of what makes, I would say, a healthy church. You can put different words to it. But a good church is going to have these three integral parts and yet, in each case, you'll see this in each verse. It, 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 it's kind of neat that it works out to, you know, each verse, 15, 16, 17, that every one of them got an integral part of the Christian life of the church. And then in each case, he adds thankfulness. Why does he add thankfulness? Of what, why, is, is, is that a tick that Paul's got? He's like, oh, yeah, and thankfulness. Did I say thankfulness already? And thankfulness. And then, oh, yeah, maybe I better throw thankfulness in for good measure. Why, did, why does he keep coming back to the idea of thankfulness? Well, think with me for a moment about what thankfulness actually gets at. In fact, in Greek, the word thankful is related to the same root from which we have the word gift and from which we have the word grace. Thankfulness is our attitude, our heart response when we know that what we have that's come to us is a gift. If we didn't earn it, if we didn't deserve it, if it's grace to us, a gift to us, that's, we should have a thankful heart. And think about the importance of that within a congregation. Thankfulness is the oil within the totality of all the functional parts of the church that keep it running. Because what if, what if we were a collection of people who were not thankful. Meaning we didn't get grace, we didn't understand grace, we, our heart isn't responding to grace. All we see is a bunch of other people and we just wish they were as good as us. Right? Like, why can't you just be as good as me? Because I could live with you if you're all just as good as me, but you know you're not and I'm just holding you to the me, The my... You know, it, it, I'm, obviously I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but it, we kind of do that, don't we, if, if we're not careful. We, we kind of get a, this view like, well, if there's people here not pulling their, their weight. You come to a work day sometime, and you'll probably feel it. I think there's some people here not pulling, pulling their weight. Why isn't anybody working as hard as I am? You know, and you can get an attitude, and you forget everything I have is in Christ. Everything in Christ is a gift to me. And if we live in that place of grace and gratitude, the machine can run yeah the, the the Church can exist as a well oiled uh, machine without without the friction and the wear and tear. so here we go let us, let us be a thankful well oiled christ center church that 's what we want to become that 's what we want to be we 're going to look at those three integral parts that we talked about, connect each one to thankfulness. So first of all, let the peace of Christ work unity in the body while being thankful so we 're after unity that 's our first integral part. Of a well-oiled Christ-centered church is unity. Uh, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in what in one body and be thankful. Do you get that? So a healthy, well-oiled machine of a church will display peace in unity. Now, when you hear the term peace of Christ, when you see that, typically what do you think of? Most of the time as Christians, we tend to be very individualistic. We tend to approach the the scripture, you know, it's me and God, and I want to hear what God has to say to me. And there's something okay about that, obviously, because it does have to be right with you and the Lord. But we look at the peace of Christ, and we think of that peace that comes to the individual that dwells in our heart. So we might think of something like Philippians, where it says in Philippians 4-7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And, and that's a peace of a certain kind. That's, that's, that's a peace that Christ left with his disciples. The world doesn't give this kind of peace. And that's inward for the individual. But think about the context. Is he really talking about that particular element or aspect of the peace of Christ. I, I don't think so. He's just gotten through just a few verses earlier talking about how we are all one in Christ, that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, you know, Scythian, barbarian, all of the rest of these different ways we can divide people. Paul essentially says no, no to division. There is no division. There is one people in Christ. And that suggests the unity of the body. That's the kind of peace I think he's getting at. Look at the parallel passage, uh, a parallel passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. We're talking about Christ. For he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. He is, he is our peace who has made both one, who's the both? That's Jew and Greek, right? Both one, broken down the, uh, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So you get the idea. The, the peace in the congregation, all of these different divisions... Are, are done away with in Christ, we have that peace and that unity. Christ is to rule in our hearts collectively, and individually, but collectively in such a way that we exist together in this peaceful unity. Yeah? Does that make sense? You with me? Tracking? Amen. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, now, now you may say, I could hear somebody say, well, wasn't Paul disrupting the unity? And actually, this is a really good test case to kind of understand where the limits are and what we're talking about. Somebody could say, well, look, Paul was calling out the false teachers. and They were all happy, right? All Colossian Christians. They were all just a happy-go-lucky crowd. And there, Paul inserts himself and starts chastising the the false teachers. And how is that helping with with unity? Well, the thing is, the, the problem with the unity was actually coming from the false teachers. That's why he's probably talking about this because they were dividing uh, Christians into two groups. And you'll see this at times where they were dividing them. There were the super spiritual Christians who kept all these rules and did all these observances and so forth. And they were were privileged to go and have visions and so forth. And then you had the hoi polloi, the average Christian. You know, just the ordinary Joe Christian. They were like a subdivision of lesser Christians. And Paul is throwing all that out. And so he's when he takes on the, the, the false teachers, he's not destroying unity. He's seeking unity. Let me suggest two practical applications you might consider for your own life as we as we think about this, as we get ready to go on to the second point. But under this idea of peace and unity, if you are causing a breach of unity in the local church, you better be... Doing it like Paul did it. It better be for good, strong, biblical reasons. For the sake of the body. If you're causing division for any other reason, you're out of step. You're not not living in that grace. You're not living in that thankfulness. Second thing I would say is, if you're causing that division, ask yourself, am I being sufficiently oiled By grace and thankfulness. Am I really living in a place of grace? Am I being gracious toward others because I have received grace? I can tell you after 30 some years in the ministry. I have seen people leave churches for all kinds of crazy reasons. And uh, so many of them. So many. and and This may sound like a put down. But I'm just going to say it. Petty. Petty reasons. People will leave churches because somebody said something yeah not the pastor even just just got out of sorts they 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 had a disagreement with someone in the in the congregation i saw my first church almost split over a three woman decorating committee and I appointed them, so I was really cheesed with myself over the whole thing. Like, why did I do that? But they almost killed each other. Um, wh- one of them completely left the church, took her family with him, and the church divided. You know, among those that were for this person, that person, their ideas and those ideas. And all they were talking about was just paint colors and stuff like that. You got to ask yourself, if you're causing division in the body, is it, is it one that ought to exist because it's a deep theological reason? Here's where the oil is supposed to reduce friction. If we have everything that we have as a gift, and we recognize that, and our hearts are responding to Christ with that kind of thankfulness and that kind of grace, then it ought to be, it isn't always, but it ought to be natural that we would feel that for one another. And we we would give people a great deal of grace. People are not, the people around you, unlike you, the people around you are not always going to get it right okay no. <laughs> it's true it's true it's true there's I, I would not all of us can just have it all squared away some people are going to need grace so uh, at least pretend like you you understand that right and be no we if we really see what we've got if we really understand how far we, we fall short and we'll see this as we go along man it's all grace it's all grace let, it, let us function out of that secondly let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with thankfulness the word of Christ it says let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god all right so first of all what's the word of Christ the gospel yeah at its core it's it's the gospel It's all of the writings, it's all the scriptures, it's the Old Testament, it's the New Testament. They are all from Christ, they all point to Christ. The word of Christ, the word of his kingdom, the word of the gospel, that's what we're talking about, yes? That which we delve into every week. To be a a healthy, well-oiled Christian church, you have to have the word of God. It has to be paramount and prominent and central, and that needs to come from the pulpit, and that needs to come from the people. Both it needs to be both and. Let me hit the pastors first. So in the pulpit, you have to have pastor teachers, as Paul describes them in Ephesians. Uh, and they have to be teaching that which the Bible teaches. They should be imparting knowledge, imparting understanding. They should have done the work and then break it down and explain the word of God so that people come away understanding more than they knew before they came in. And within that preaching context, they should also be hear, hearing application. Sometimes th- that they feel like their toes are being stepped on or they leave feeling a little bit more encouraged because they heard something. that. encouraged But there should be that admonition aspect along with the teaching. Yeah? Isn't that what Paul is saying here? Look at Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.12. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. So that would be, be elders and so forth. Um, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So th- it's their job to be up there speaking and preaching and, and admonishing. You want that. You should demand that from the pulpit. If I'm not admonishing you enough, you need to admonish me. I need some more admonition, Jay. Push me a little harder. And I will. Okay. And yet, <laughs> and yet Paul is clearly thinking very centrally here of the church church. As a whole of the people of God. He's talking one another here. Admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, hymns, and spiritual songs. So um, what is that? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That is actually the million dollar question. How many realize that, that's, that this is actually ground zero for a whole uh, division within the church? Do you know this? Yeah, there are whole denominations that split from one another just over the interpretation of what these words mean. And you're like, ooh, tell me. I like, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about that. Uh-huh, okay, I will. Well, s- s- <laughs> we, we just like, oh, yeah, give me a front row seat to the division. I want to hear about that. Um, yeah, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Believe it or not, um, one one way of looking at this, and it's not It's not wrong in terms of the biblical data. Um, The the Psalms self-describe themselves with all three of these. So within the Greek words that are used here in the Greek Old Testament, all of these words, Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, are actually used of the Psalms themselves. Do You see where this is going? All right. So some people say, well, look, all of these are self-referential terms to the Psalms, so Paul is talking strictly about the Psalms. So he's saying Christians should worship out of the Psalms. (laughs) Have you ever heard the word Psalter? Yeah? That's an old word, but some denominations sing strictly out of the Psalter, and that's the Psalms. And usually written in such a way with tunes suggested so that people can sing the psalms. And that's kind of cool. I don't know that that's actually the correct interpretation. Even if, it's, even if that's correct, if Paul meant the psalms, it's not necessarily precluding or excluding the possibility of other songs being sung. I tend to agree that that we mean here psalms, the book of psalms, those, those collection, collected hymns in the Old Testament... Christian hymns, which would have been songs written about Christ, and then songs of praise, which would have probably been um, spontaneous songs of praise. Um, But here's the interesting thing, and and literally there are there are like I said, there's there's you've got very similar churches that split just over this one issue. But I think in all of that, something that we could lose, and this is really interesting. I think this really is is actually kind of. This is something that will build your faith up a little when you get behind what's going on here. There's something interesting that we could miss. When the New Testament was being written, when Colossians was being written, those people did not have this. So before the printing press, most of them didn't have one scrap of anything in the whole Bible. The average Christian didn't have one single document uh, parchments were expensive, uh, they, so they might have had things that they copied themselves. If they were literate, a lot of people, the vast majority, would not have been literate. And so what would they have had? What did they have? They got letters from people like Paul, and they would circulate them. Um, they had traveling evangelists. They had apostles and so forth. And they'd, they'd committed certain things to memory. Some of the Psalms and so forth were committed to memory. And then, and here's, here's what's really cool. They had, we believe, Bible Bible scholars are agreed on this, that they had early creeds and early hymns which they would have recited and sung, which were in their memory banks before they had the, 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 the New Testament to read, they had these things. In fact, even in the book of Colossians, if you can believe it, right? In the book of Colossians, in chapter one, most scholars agree, in chapter one, verses 15 through 20, where you, you have this really high Christology, meaning who Christ is, that that was likely, the way it's written, it looks as though it was a hymn. That this was something that Christians would have been singing, and that Paul is actually at that point quoting an early christian hymn and it gets even more exciting you can can go on youtube and uh, gary habermas talks about this if you ever want to look this up but but um, they believe scholars believe now that some of the early creeds and hymns were written within a couple years of the death burial and resurrection of jesus isn't that crazy yeah and some of the early hymns and creeds have a very high. So when people come along and say, oh, the church invented this about Jesus years and hundreds of years later. No, like within a couple of years, Christians were saying these, these huge statements about who Jesus actually is. Well, when we come together and we worship on Sunday morning and we sing the hymns that we sing. And some, some of them are songs, and some of them aren't. Some of them are, are new, new creations concerning Jesus. When we sing these things, we are, we are obeying this passage in one sense. We are mutually encouraging one another with the word of Christ dwelling richly in us. And I'll go to the mat on this next one. I'm going to push maybe just a little bit here. I mean, you're here, so you, obviously you think it's okay, but... Um, I'm sure some people walk into our church service. Maybe they're, they come from a megachurch or something, and maybe they don't think our worship is as snappy as it could be. Maybe it's not as peppy as as they might like, or whatever the case may be. Do you know what our operating principle he, here is for our worship? I mean, we want we want it to obviously be done well, but our first and critical concern is that, that the that the music that we pick, that the lyrics are deeply authentically, richly biblical. That the word of Christ is dwelling richly in what it is we're singing to one another. I just thought, that the last song we sang, I was just picking up on, on some of that, and, and I'm going, wow, that is really good theology there. And that's, that's what we want. And we do it with thankfulness in our heart. You know, if you're bitter and grumbling, which is, isn't that kind of the opposite of, of being thankful? just being kind of out of sorts cynical bitter you know you're not thinking about how to encourage anyone right when we get in that place not been in that place trust me I'm not you know this isn't foreign to me but you get in that kind of bitter cynical place it's your first thought is not how do I encourage these people around me that are annoying me so much right You have to be living in that place of gratitude and thanksgiving to even want to do that. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out, he says, freely you you have received, now freely give. Meaning, the ministering in the name of Jesus that we do has to come from a place of grace. Has to come from hearts that have been changed by grace and that are full of thanksgiving. So let me challenge you in light of this. Do more of this with each other. Because although our worship time together is part of it, it's not the totality of it, is it? That's not what's implied alone. I think Paul is also saying in your, on your work days, when you're ready to smack somebody that's got, you know, just done it wrong one too many times, or whatever it might be, wherever you're at. Be ready for it with a word of encouragement from the Scripture, from from the Word of Christ. Let it dwell richly so that, yeah, if it's quoting, you don't have to know exactly where you're quoting it from. Some people get uptight because they haven't memorized the whole Bible. I'm sorry for those that haven't done that, as I have. Um, No, I haven't. I'll admit it. And none, none of you have done it either, to my knowledge. But you don't have to remember exactly. It's good if you can. But even if you can't, if you can remember a portion of a scripture, if you can remember something out of a rich hymn or, or, or psalm that we've sung together, and you can quote that at a, at a good time when, it, when it's needed, how valuable is that? I so, said, Well, I don't know anyone that does something like that. Dennis Klima, okay? Dennis Klima, he's only been gone. Couple couple months. But man, what a what what a neat guy. You know, he wasn't uh, doing his funeral I had to, you know, learn all this stuff about him. But he really wasn't a big reader. He didn't read a lot of books, he read his Bible, and he just committed large portions to, to memory and you'd be talking to him and you'd be right in the middle of a conversation and he'd just get that smile on his face and he'd go, what it reminds me of what Jesus said when he said and he quote a scripture to you and you'd be like, Richer for it. So don't, you know, you, maybe you think, oh, I have to be holier than thou or whatever the case. No, if, if, if you have a good word from the scripture and you think it w- would maybe help a person share that. But to even be at the place where you want to share it, you have to be operating from a place of gratitude. We have to have that, just that sheer knowledge of the goodness of Christ to want to be that for other people. Okay, third integral part of becoming that Christ-centered, thankful church, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus while giving thanks. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what does Paul mean by whatever you do in word or deed? In part, he's, this is kind of almost a summation of what he's been saying, so In one sense what he's saying is, hey, as you're functioning together as the body and you're living and seeking peace with one another and you're going for that unity as a body, do that in the name of Jesus. Do it for Christ's sake. Do it for his name's sake. You know, as you share the word of God, as as the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly and you're sharing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with one another, do that in the name of Jesus, whatever you do. But of course, when he throws in the whatever you do, it it means whatever. It's including everything. It's almost as if God is saying, I want your whole life to belong to me. Isn't it almost like that? Like, like, you know, pretty much not the 80% we thought he meant, but like everything. Can you imagine? Where does God get off with that? But of course this, of course it's everything. Of course it's everything. We, we have died to our old life. Our life's not even there. How could any, you know, everything that we have is in Christ now. The life we live, we live in Christ through faith in him. We, we, we are hidden with Christ in God. Christ is our life, Paul says. Christ is all in all. So is everything his? Absolutely. It should all be done in his name, it all should be lived in his name. What does it mean to live in his name, though? That's a tricky one. Um, I won't even try to give you an explanation. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're driving down Broadway. I mean, some of visiting, you are visiting, you're not familiar with Broadway, but most people are, and it'll, it'll make sense anyway. But you're, you're going east on Broadway. You know, it goes from 35 to 30, right around the hospital. I think a lot of people don't know that it's ever been 35 as, you know, because I get, both. anyway, that's another story. So you're driving and you're, and you're, you're, you know, you're doing 35, 36, 37 miles an hour. You hit the 30, you're starting to slow down in toward that 30 range. You drive, all of a sudden, once a car comes up behind you and they're, they're blaring on their horn and they, they pass you on Broadway. They pass you on Broadway, and then, then they're shaking their fists. They're like, what kind of road rage is this person suffering from? And as they drive by, you look over at the car, and on the side, it says, Fred Friendly Real Estate. And you're, you've been thinking about putting your home up for sale. What are the odds you're going to pick Fred Friendly as your... <laughs> you're not, Right? Now, come on, it probably wasn't Fred actually in that car. It was probably one of his, you know, peons, one of his, one of his agents that, that was driving the vehicle with Fred's name there. But you're not going to do business with Fred because of what you've just experienced. Uh, when we get, uh, when we set out to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus, we're doing a couple things, aren't we? One, we are purposely trying to do all things things for the sake of his reputation. We want people to look at our lives and say, "Well, if that's a Christian, I need to know more about Jesus." How many feel like that's pretty much the vibe you're putting out there most of the time? <laughs> okay, good. That's good. <laughs> I think a lot of us, a lot of us are probably thinking, "You know what? A lot of times I don't want people to, I don't want Jesus name on the side of my car. Have you ever noticed there are certain Christians that put Christian bumper stickers on, which I always think is a mistake, unless you're a perfect driver. Like, you know, you do that one bad traffic maneuver, and you've got a fish symbol on the back bumper. It's like, yeah. But we do. We want people to see our lives. We want them to be attracted to Jesus for his honor's sake. The second piece of this is um, it's every arena of your life. It's everything. It's, it, it's meant, uh, we, we said that earlier, but everything you do ought to be done for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, for, for his glory. And that takes in a lot. Paul's going to go into like a whole spectrum of different life um, places. If you, you can say, you know, being husbands and wives and slaves and so forth as he goes from this. And it's kind of going to be an extension of this, of this very thought. I think of the movie uh, chariots of fire about Eric Little. How many saw that movie back in the day? You know, and there's there's that scene where his dad's talking to him and and, and Eric is talking about that he feels God's pleasure when he runs and his dad says, you know, that a man can uh, glorify God by peeling a spud if if he does it to perfection. So anything, everything is done for the sake of Christ to for for his name's sake. And a third part of that is uh, we do it with a sense of his authority, in his name. In his name, we proclaim the gospel. In his name, he has sent us out into the world to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. If, we, if we, Whatever we do, you know, if you're in the healing professions and, and, and you are able to somehow get a person toward, um, you know, health, to better health, then that's, then that's in Jesus' name, isn't it? It's by it's his authority that that you're going out and doing good. If you're a plumber and you get people's toilet unstuck, that too, right? It it's it is a good thing done in his name. Every fiber of your being belongs to him. Now you could hear this, and you could how many could feel like burdened by this thought, like everything. God wants. Everything to be in His name for His sake. Hmm. You know, other gods are a lot easier than our God. Like some gods, they're satisfied if you just give them a little lip service. You know, burn a pinch, pinch of incense, kill a few infidels. Uh, you know, they're good. They're they're happy with you. But what is it with our God? Our God's like everything. Everything belongs to Him. Everything is to be done in in Jesus' name. I mean, yeah. But here's the thing, that's not a burden. That's not a You remember last week, twice I quoted um, from Matthew's gospel where Jesus says that, um, you know, where he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He ends up saying that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because we're yoked to Jesus. It's not as though he's going, hey, I'm, I'm just going to stand back and watch, and you better do everything in my name, buddy. You better get out there and make a name for me, and I'm, 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 I'm going to be yeah, making a list of where you screw up. No, he's like, it's light. It's a yoke. There's two places in that yoke. Who's yoked there with you? Jesus is. He's in you. He's with you. Do you think I'm adding too much to this? Do you think I'm adding? Look, go back and let's pull it up again. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. And again, he throws thanksgiving in there. Again, there's the idea of grace. Paul is reminding us here of something beautiful, and that is that when you do these things in Jesus' name, you are operating out of of that arena of gratitude because of the grace you've experienced in Christ. When we consecrate our lives to Jesus, it was knowing what Jesus had already done for us. Yes? In the name of Jesus, you have been justified. In the name of Jesus, you have been forgiven. In the name of Jesus, you have been saved. You have been redeemed in his name. You've been made a child of God through his name. You have the hope of eternal life and glory and joy in Jesus' name. And so it's not a burden. It flows. It should flow naturally from us when we are in that place of gratitude knowing what we've, all, what we've received. If, if we're just doing it to make God happy, like, oh, oh, the burden of living for Jesus. I gotta get out there and try harder. It won't flow, will it? It's gotta come out of that area of thanksgiving. So, quick quick recap. Let's be a Christ-centered church. Christ-centered, gospel-loving, well-oiled church. Let the peace of Christ rule in us as one body. Let his word dwell in us. Richly as we as we encourage one another with the word of God. Yeah, and and let us do all things boldly for his namesake, but in the midst of all that let it flow from that place of grace and gratitude for what he's done. If you don't know Christ, maybe you think the gospel is something like 180 degrees different than what it is. Because I think what a lot of people hear, if you're not a believer and, and you happen to be listening to this, you could quite easily go, oh, wow, being a Christian is hard. I, he, that does sound like a hard God he wants everything. He wants everything. I have to do everything in his name. And, and it just might, might seem like this, this huge deal, but, the, but you'd be putting the cart in front of the horse. Because the gospel is grace. The gospel is what Christ has done for you. You are a sinner. You are lost. You are apart from God. Christ Jesus came into the world for people like you. For sinners. He died in their place. He was raised on the third day. Those who repent and believe in him have eternal life. That is the crux of the gospel. And you're like, well, yeah, but there's all this other stuff you're talking about. Yeah, that's the work of Christ in you. That that's what flows out of a life that's been redeemed, that understands the grace that has come to them, and it's a progressive thing. It does. It's not like all at once that, that, you know. But it is a progressive, you know, giving more and devoting more and more to your life as you walk with Him in that in that place of gratitude. Let's pray. Father, we uh, we do want to live in this place of of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Because, Lord, ultimately, we know that we have not done um, or been what we needed to do and what we needed to be. We have fallen short. Even after coming to, to you and, and receiving salvation, Lord, we've been small-minded at times and small-hearted toward one another. And we've, we've lived critically and cynically. Lord, forgive us for that. Fill us with that thanksgiving. Help us to pursue peace together as as a body. Lord, help us to encourage each other in the word of God. Lord, help us by your strength and in gratitude to to live and do everything in your name, in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that in the name of Jesus that someone today will hear this and respond to your grace and receive salvation in Christ's name. We ask it in that name. Amen.